Like Welcome back to the Girls Gone Wild podcast. Thank you guys so much for the feedback, the emails, the messages that you guys are excited that Girls Gone Wild is back. Well, we are too. So yay, we're excited to be back in this space talking about fitness, talking about wellness, talking about mental health. And I think this is a really important community that we've really wanted to get back into. So we're back and uh, we would love to hear your suggestions for guests, ideas, topics. You can email us girlsgonewad at gmail.com. This week, we're bringing our podcast mom. We call her Mom Sandy. So you've heard us, if you're an OG Girls Gone Wad listener, you've heard us talk about Mom Sandy over the years. She's not our biological mothers, but she is our podcast mom. We met her the first year that we were podcasting. She became our lawyer, our contract wrangler, our confidant, our mentor. Uh, she's just an amazing, amazing human being. She lost her husband last year to cancer which was devastating in and of itself. But during the pandemic, of course, if you had losses or anything challenging during a pandemic, it just felt like an extra layer of grief was laid on you. So I got some really bad news this past weekend that I lost a family member suddenly. And I was going to record with Sandy that day. And I told her, I was like, you know, this is what happened. I'm kind of in a weird space, but I still want to record. I have a tendency that when something like that happens, I want normalcy. And she was like, why don't we talk about grief? I just feel like this is the time. Originally, we were going to talk about manifesting and kind of some lot of law of attraction stuff because we tend to <laughs> gravitate towards the woo-woo discussions. And I love to hear her talk about these things. She's helped me so much in those arenas. And we'll get to that at some point. But Today, we just decided to pivot and talk about grief. So you're going to hear us discuss grief, uh, some more logistical things, because Sandy's a lawyer and she's really good about talking about what you need to have, you know, which ducks you need to have in a row to make the grieving process not easier, but in terms of getting matters handled, what is going to make your surviving loved ones have to manage this a little bit less in terms of paperwork and finances and estates and trusts and wills and so on and so forth. So she talks a little about that as well. Again, you guys can send us feedback, emails, voice memos, girlsgonewad at gmail.com. Please share and subscribe to this podcast so we can get it back up and running. You can support our sponsors, doubleunderwonder.com. The discount code is JOY. We love you guys. We're so happy to be back. Here's the show. All right. Well, that's a good kickoff to uh, getting this recording going, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. It's been a long time coming that we have you back, uh, not only on the podcast, but on Girls Gone Wild. The fact that we're relaunching this, it only makes sense that we have you back on the show. Uh, because you are our podcast mom and have been such an important part of our life throughout this podcast. But we, you and I have been talking so much about like what we want to talk about and how we want to discuss some things that are a little bit out of the ordinary. We wanted to talk about some manifesting and we wanted to talk about how that kind of came into our lives. And I think that has to be a part two because something came up today where we were like, I think we need to talk about grief. And I have been reflecting a lot on the past year. I think how how everyone has with 2020. Yeah. But not only that is you lost your husband, Herbert, to cancer during a pandemic. And I think there's a lot that we need to discuss around grief, especially in a pandemic. So where should we, where should we begin? You know, I think one of the things with grief that people, um, and you're a therapist, so you know the real magic words about this, but that everybody seems to think that you're supposed to pass through surprise and then anger and then um, ultimately reaching acceptance that there's supposedly these, you know, different steps of grief. And I think the main thing uh, is that that is actually sort of BS that that you can feel them all at once that you may never get to acceptance but that isn't bad i i do believe though that with grief it is a surprise like that part i think even if you're expecting somebody to pass or you know whatever i think that is the beginning of it 
you do all the other things at once. And I, I myself knew that you're supposed to do, supposed to do like surprise and then bargaining and then sadness. And I mean, yeah. So for anyone listening who isn't familiar with the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, it's kind of the template, if you will, that started, I want to say the book was written probably in the 70s or 80s. I'm just totally guessing. But it's it's a nice template, but I think it's very outdated. And it, and we've come a long way as humans to understanding grief. And so I think at first, it was kind of like a beacon for some people to just put names to their feelings of what was going on in grief. And some may find it really helpful. But I think you're right, Sandy is, it's pretty limiting. And what I've come to understand, and I'd love to hear your thoughts around this, because here's the thing, everyone experiences it totally different. And so one person's journey of grief is going to look totally different from the next person's journey of grief, that acceptance in my mind is not something we ever reach with grief. I think it, I've heard it be described, especially by some of the people I follow, who are great, I want to say leaders in grief research, or at least just speaking about grief is that it, it, you kind of absorb it, it becomes a part of you. Even just speaking with my own mother, who tragically lost her father, my grandfather, when she was young, and I never got to meet him was she's like, you never get over it. It just, you just kind of, you live with it. You do the dance with grief, if you will. And, and I think that's just something that everyone has their own. It's kind of cheesy to say it's like a snowflake where everyone has their own DNA of grief, that it's good to have some labels of what the heck is going on with me. Because I think that's helpful because grief can be such a sneaky bastard. It just comes up. I mean, you know, I could be sitting in a store and hear a song and just burst into tears because it reminds me of a friend that passed away or I could fill in the blank that just happens out of nowhere. So you can't plan on what grief looks like, but you can have words to say, Oh, I'm really angry. And anger is a part of grief. Okay, great. Then like, we can just acknowledge that that's what it is. Well, and I think the thing is, too, what you said is really, I hear you with respect to everybody has everybody's a special snowflake uh, with respect to grief. But I think the thing that with respect to losing my husband, a lot of people were really expecting to me to be very sad. And it's not that I wasn't sad, but I wasn't like, like Sarah Bernhardt with my hand to my forehead, grief stricken, right? right? And so people were a little, I had a lot of people who were a little perturbed about that, which was very interesting because my husband and I had a relationship where for 20 years, I mean, we, we didn't really fight. We didn't really, you know, whatever we could sit in a room together, just being quiet and being happy with that. And for some reason it didn't hit me until now probably three weeks ago, where a friend of mine said, Oh, here's this song. I think you'd really like it because I'd never heard the the artist before. Right. And I bawled like a little baby. And it was it was so funny because it's been a year since he passed away. And then suddenly that got me. And so I think that's part of it too is that make sure that you're feeling your own process and don't try to have a process that other people are trying to put on your body. Because I think that um, I think that was part of what I was feeling was that people also, if you are in grief, people are going to want to do things for you because they want to show you that they care about you. But often, and and we've talked about this before, you know, everybody has a love language. And, you know, if your love language is not gifts or touch or all the things that people want to give you, then it's going to feel overwhelming. So I think if you're facing somebody with grief, uh, that's one of the that's one of the best questions to ask them is um, how can I support you? I am here for you. How can I support you? So can we back up a little bit and just if you're comfortable sharing, you know, you had a prognosis with Herbert where you knew that he would be, I guess, battling cancer or living with cancer, whatever words that you used with that. And that the prognosis wasn't good, but your was your grief something that kind of started with the prognosis? Like, what was that journey like for you? Because I think that's also very different of again, every grief is different. It, this wasn't a, I guess it was in some ways more sudden, but 
it's not like a car accident and then someone's gone versus a prognosis that's a little bit longer and you kind of have more time to prepare. I think what what comes to mind for me, and I want to hear you talk about this, is no matter what, no matter how a person passes, it's still shocking, even if you Absolutely. even if you knew for a long time. Yeah, I, and I think that's the thing too is that we were so busy fighting for him that um, it, we we didn't have room for any other emotion, uh, really. And and the thing was too is that he. He certainly, like the doctor 100% says, said he had another six months for sure. And that's why we had so many uh, things planned last year. And then COVID hit. And the problem was, was that he, we thought he had gotten COVID from one of his caregivers. And it turned out he tested negative for COVID. Uh, but then his doctor said, you know, if he goes to the hospital, because it, it was like a pneumonia, couldn't breathe type thing. And the doctor said, uh, if he goes to the hospital, you won't, you may never see him alive again, because of course you couldn't go visit people in hospitals and stuff like that. And so we made a choice for him to have oxygen and, you know, therapy at home. And honestly, God, the night before everything was fine. And that's the thing that's the saddest part is that um, he passed away in our hallway and we were sleeping separately because he was in a hospital bed and the dog came and got me. And, and so it was a definite shock. I was with him, I think, right when he passed. Um, but it was, I, I think the thing about a prognosis like that is um, we were never really particularly accepting of it. We were, we were fighting it. And so that's about all, I mean, we certainly had the idea, look, he's got a shorter life. So uh, we did things like putting a password keeper together, making absolutely positive that we had wills and trusts, that our properties were in trusts, that we did stuff like that. We weren't going to be stupid, but we were fighting so hard. It's like I didn't have emotional room to be anything from but present and super supportive of him. And I think that when you're going through something like that, that's all you see. And you don't have time, like you said, where you're just totally focused on like the game plan, and you're focused on battling it. And what you mentioned earlier, as when he passed away, and when everything happened is like people kind of have an idea of what you're going to be like. And that's their own projections and not yours. And that yep. is something to be mindful of, of supporting someone who's grieving, that you may have an idea of what it's going to look like and that that is really your projection of what it might look like. For example, I had a friend years and years ago who lost her father rather suddenly. And I, in my mind, had it in my head that I'm like, she handles everything. Like she's so strong. She's so spiritual. She's always got it together. She's going to be fine. <laughs> and turns out, you know, like in my head, I'm like, she, she doesn't, not that she doesn't need support, but in my mind, I'm thinking like, she's, she's like, man, she's gonna like, really, I guess, rock this grief. Rock this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and we were talking later, you know, six months to a year down the road. And she was like, people never really asked how I was doing because they have that expectation that I'm going to handle every, like, I'm the one that handles everything great. Right. And She's like, I kind of want people to ask me, like, how am I doing with my dad being because she was always the one that kind of was the rock for people. Right. And she's like, I really wanted people to ask how this was affecting me. And that really struck me as like, yeah, I had this idea that, you know, never assume and always just ask and check in. And I think that you probably know this too, of people checking in or people get so weird about grief and death and <laughs> loss. They get so weird. They don't know what to say. They think they're going to make it worse. And one of my favorite things that I've heard along the lines of asking people how they're doing is they're like, I don't want people don't want to bring it up because they don't want to upset you. They're like, uh, you can, you, there's nothing that you can say to make this worse because yeah, like exactly. the worst has already happened. So by bringing it up and talking about it, you're actually allowing a conversation that I actually want to be asked because when people don't talk about grief, they're assuming they're like, I don't want to remind this person that your husband just died, or I don't want to remind this person that your dad just died. They, it's like, uh, I, I am, died. <laughs> I am, yeah, I am well aware. There's like, I think about it 24 seven. So you're, you're just fine to ask me. <laughs> well, and I think the thing is too, is if somebody says, 
it's languaging is such an interesting thing because I think if somebody said to me, are you okay? I would immediately say I'm fine. So I'm trying to think of languaging like that would, uh, number one, I think one of the most supportive things that somebody could have asked me is um, uh, how can I support you right now? And, and then as the grief E, (laughs) um, Honestly, if you really need somebody to go and get you butter at the grocery store, say it. And then as the asker, if that then that person has to be ready to to do what that person really needs. They may think it's I'm going to bring you flowers or I'm going to do whatever and it may really be that you need butter from the store and you just don't feel like leaving the house that day. And so if you're asking somebody who's in grief, what can I do to support you right now? If they say nothing, it's on them. But if but if you've asked and they need you to go and get butter, then you better be ready to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes like those tasks are great to be like, what can I do for you right now? And you're like, actually, I need butter. Yep. Um, and you're really good at, at, at expressing what you need. Like when I was there to help with um, the, the wake, the services. What did you call it? The wake? Celebration of life. Celebration of life. Thank you. When, which was amazing by the way. And when I was there for the celebration of life, you were so good at being like, I need this done and this done and this done and this done. And we were like on it. And I think there's some people that may not have kind of the words to say what they need. Uh, So in those instances, I always love to just like, just do something without even asking because like, you know, the person may just be like, no, I don't need anything. It's like, yeah, we'll just send food to the house. Like don't even. Yeah. But I also want to just talk a little bit about like you as a person, just being that strong, independent, you know, you, you knew it's almost like, you know how to handle things. Like as you were going through this, did you, did anything surprise you about yourself about this process? Like, I know that grief is such a sneaky bastard, but there, was there anything that you were like, whoa, I just never thought that this would be a part of it. I, I, I think honestly, the, um, what the heck is the name of that song? Um, we are vampires. We are vampires by um, yeah. Jason Isbell. Yeah. yeah. So he, that, that was such a, such a, I'm almost like in tears right now. That was such a surprise. God, that song is just a killer. It, I mean, and I know I like, I listened to it and I know Jason Isbell, if anyone wants to Google it, I'll put it in the show notes, but Jason last name is I S B E L L. He's a amazing songwriter, singer, songwriter, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful singer, songwriter. And you sent me that song, but go ahead. Well, and that was the thing that was a big surprise. I mean, honestly, it was sent to me by a friend who I never heard Jason Isbell and and my friend said, um, I'm sure you have, here's one of the songs. And then I'm listening to it and I just lost it. Yeah. 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 You would think a year later that something's not going to hit you. Now, would it have hit me right at the time the same way? I don't know. And I think the things that, um, that have surprised me along the way were silly things like, I had read this book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, and it was written by a gal who was had like graduated from college. She was a goth girl and she graduated from college with like medieval history or something. And she went to work. Oh, that's amazing. A, she she went to work at a um, mortuary because it's basically all she could do. And it's her her story. And she, and and in it she talks about death and she talks about different type different ways of handling a body, different whatever. And it's very funny because she's she's telling it from the standpoint of this 20-year-old who certainly couldn't find a job and she winds up working in a mortuary. And she's she's a white girl and it's basically a black mortuary. I mean, it's it's a great book. And um it was Oh, this great. is by um Caitlin. Caitlin, I Caitlin think she's Dowdy. written quite a dowdy, dowdy. Yeah. I think um she's written quite a few books. But yeah, that's she cool. Has, but and yeah. now she is, um, I mean, it's not like a spoiler alert, but now she is asked the mortician on uh, YouTube. In the book, you do not know if that's what she's going to stay doing. And at the very, very end of the book, she decides she's going to actually become a mortician, that she's she really wants to stay in this. And so she's had a couple more books, and she's also asked the mortician. And But this book is her first one, and it's about how she started. And the the thing was, it got me thinking about things like, I mean, you don't realize how much somebody's ashes weigh. Like, it, that was a big shock. Um, I don't know why. It just 
that was a big shock because they're heavy. Yeah, they're heavy. They're oh heavy. God, of, course they, of course they are. You know, I remember <laughs> when you you were like marcoing me while you were driving with Herbert in the passenger seat, and you were like, "Those are his ashes," and you're like, "They're heavy." I'm like, "Yeah, that actually makes sense. Like, it's a lot of bones and things. Like, it's a lot." I do think of it as ashes, right? So, but totally, you think like ashes, like a fire, like you're just scooping ashes up from a fireplace, and you're like, oh, it's not that heavy, yeah. Exactly, and it's also like it's the it's the old um, it's the old saying of like which falls faster, a pound of feathers or a pound of lead. It's like no, they fall at the same time. Same time, same sort of thing. It's like if you are condensing somebody down from 160 pounds of person down to ashes, it's not going to weigh like five pounds, right? No. So that was, I would say that that was one of those surprising, whatever sorts of things, very frustratingly surprising is we had really thought it out. Let me tell you, my goodness. I mean, we had password keepers. We had made sure that we had put all of our beneficiaries correctly in the IRAs and the, you know, the property and whatever. And the paperwork that I had to fill out and go back and forth with was so unbelievable and and we were prepared like that's the part that kills me is we were prepared yeah no i was just gonna ask about the like not as glamorous things about life that we talk about all the time and you and i have talked recently about this just because i've been talking about you know stuff with my parents or even just stuff with Scott and I, because I don't want to be unprepared. And these are not pleasant things to talk about, of course, but it's like, look, you told me you're like, listen to me, because (laughs) you just never know when something's going to happen. Can you talk the difference between a will and a trust? Because, because these are things that I think will be helpful for people to at least start thinking about with their own families if they don't have something set up. Um, and I know every family is going to be different depending on the assets that you have. But like, for example, like take Scott and I, what would we need to do to have our ducks in a row? Or what did you and Herbert do to have your ducks in a row? Because you had more, quote unquote, time before he passed to plan everything. I think the first thing, the mostest firstest thing <laughs> is to have a password keeper. And this is not a will or trust thing, but I'm just starting at the very basics. We use LastPass and it allows you, every time you put in a password for something, it says, do you want me to save it? And so, and it also allows you to put somebody's email address. If you have passed away, it will give that person's, uh, that person has to show your death certificate and it will give them all your passwords. And so the, the the reason why I say that is uh, our neighbor's brother passed away very suddenly of all places. He was in like Las Vegas. He used to go gaming for fun and he had a heart attack. And so they didn't even know where his car was parked, what his credit cards were, what his passwords were. I mean, they, it was it was unbelievable at that point. And I remember... Um, our neighbors, the first thing they said, this is before Herbert had cancer or anything. And the first thing that that she said to us is get a password keeper because we've been trying to figure out what the heck to do. All of his stuff was online. He didn't have, you know, it's not like you have paper credit card receipts anymore. And, and so that's the first thing that I think is extraordinarily important. Right. Like just basic level get passwords. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, how Herbert and I did it is we got last password, both of us, and it was not that expensive. And then we each would log in. And every time we would log in, we would just save the password, save the passwords. And Herbert had this sheet that was passwords that went, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it was the longest, longest thing. He just scanned it in and put it under notes in LastPass just yesterday. I had to reference one of those things. It, it, it was it was crazy. It came up and I was like, oh my gosh, please God, let that be in his notes because it wasn't in LastPass. It was some old thing. And honestly, that's where I would say everybody's got to start. And But then with respect to will and trust, if you do not own anything that takes that has title to it, then you can just write a regular will. So here's the deal. If you have, if you don't have a house, don't have a car, don't have anything that has title, then what a will says is, I want all my, I want my desk to go here and I want this picture to go here and this person should take care of the dog and blah, blah, blah. That's the will. Different states have different rules. Um, In California, if you write it all by hand, which is called holographic, 
And you can write it on, I mean, you can imagine the case studies. You can write it on the side of a tractor tire when the tractor is falling on you. That's amazing. That's amazing. These are the sorts of cases that you get when you're taking wills and trust classes. It's like, wait, what do I need to know if that was like written in blood? Like what the hell? Anyway, just has to be written all in your, all in your own handwriting, dated, signed. You don't need any witnesses. You don't need anything. This is California, but you can find that stuff out very, very quickly in your own state. That is if you don't have anything with title. Okay. Now, the second you have anything with title, a car, a house, rental property, anything that you have title to, you would need to go to probate because you can say, I want my house to go to my uncle Joe. Okay. But the problem is you look at that will and now uncle Joe has to prove who he is, who you were, that that's really what you wanted, that you didn't have any other debts because the first thing that gets taken care of is debts. And so all of those things mean you have to go to probate. What probate is, is when they open up a a court case and the court looks at your entire, uh, everything you left and all your bills and all your this, and they pay the bills off first. And then they, you know, parcel out things, whatever. The problem with probate is it's thousands of dollars because you've opened up a court case you're having to some somebody, your executor has to have gotten all your bills together, figure out everything that you've got that that you own. Do you have something that's titled? Then they have to find the title to that thing, whether it's your house or your car. Have you given it to anybody? Because if it's not in the will, then it's outside of the will, right? And then then you're in trouble because that means it's going to go what's called intestate succession, which means it goes, if you're not married, it goes to your parents, unless you have, you know, I mean, there's like a little chart. On the other hand, a trust means you have, you open up what's called a revocable living trust. Revocable means you can revoke it. And um, so all you do is you put the title to everything that holds title in that trust. What that means is in the trust, now you say, I would like my house to go to Uncle Joe. So you have the trust done up. You've got two witnesses. You've actually gone to the county and if it's your house, you've put the, the house in that trust, doesn't cost you anything, you won't change your taxes, you know, whatever, it'll cost you $13 filing fee or something. Now, the title to your house says, you know, the Joy and Scott Parish Revocable Living Trust. In that trust, it says you can sell it, you can put a lien on it, you can do whatever you want with all that stuff that's in there. However, once you die, it goes to Uncle Joe. So that means here you and Scott have signed it. You've had witnesses. All Uncle Joe needs to do is bring to the county a copy of your trust and proof that it's Uncle Joe and he gets the house. And that's it. So no and like thousands it. of dollars of. Yeah. Yep. Nope. And that's the, that's the biggest thing is that often people will do a package of like a will and trust. And then they won't put the property in trust. Now it's still going to have to go to probate because it's still in Joy and Scott Parish. Right, right. And so that's that's the basics with respect to will and trust. I mean, there's all sorts of other things like if you have a kid, you certainly want it to say who's going to take care of the kid. If you've got even dogs or maybe you want to give certain um, pieces of art to certain people, you generally would then in the trust you'd say those sorts of things. But then you would say, if I've forgotten anything, then it should go how it's in my will. It's called a pour over will. All that means is if there's stuff you haven't given away, then it's going to all go to where the the beneficiary of the trust was. You don't have to list everything. Everything. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. You know, as you've gone through this process, is there anything else other than like the passwords where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known this. But Here's the thing too, everybody, Sandy's a lawyer, you're very well versed in all of these things beforehand. But was there anything that you were like, Oh, my God, I wish I would have done this before Herbert passed away? Well, uh, as you know, we made a a choice uh, 20 years ago to do a deferred compensation thing that um, we just laughed at it because it uh, it presumed that Herbert would live until he was 65. And then we would get money and it would not be taxed in a certain way, whatever. Well, of course, he died at 60. And so I paid half of that money we'd put away for the last 20 years as taxes. And um, it was- Wait, say that again? You explain that one more time just because I, so I understand. Yeah. 
So we'd been for the last 20 years, we'd been putting away a piece of his salary constantly. Got it. Yeah. And it got to grow without, it was sort of like you would imagine like an IRA. In other words, it went into some Vanguard funds, whatever, presuming that he was social security age, that he would get it and be able to take pieces out slowly, just like an IRA. Slowly. Yeah. Yeah. However, if he died before he was 65, and we just laughed and laughed about this. I'll never forget. You know, we were in our 30s or 40s when we did it. And um, his kin, it all lived until their 90s. And so we're like, ha ha, ha ha. Um, <laughs> and um, because he died at 60 instead of 65, I got the entirety of that money. All at once. All at once, which meant I, half of it went to taxes. Taxes. Oh, and, mother effer. Uh, and we had sold a rental property. We had taken out some of his stocks in the early part of 2020 because that's what we were going to live on, basically. Well, of course, we didn't pay taxes on those at that point because you're going to pay it at the end, you know, when you file your taxes. When you sell real estate, you don't pay taxes right then. You choose not to pay taxes. We didn't pay taxes on the stock. So that meant those things were also at the highest bracket. So suddenly I'm losing half the money I'd gotten from the real estate we sold, half the money from the stock that we sold, and half the money from this big bolus of money that I had to pay. So not only did I have to pay an enormous amount of money, I mean, we've been putting this away for 20 years. I had to pay an enormous amount last year. But then the kicker was when it came to May 15th and filing my taxes, I had to pay another bunch of money because because now that real estate we'd sold and the stock we'd sold was bumped up into the highest possible level. And so that's that's the one biggest, I would say that that was the biggest shock. That was the thing that made me the sickest was that God, he, like it's, he'd be so pissed. Oh, he'd be yeah. so pissed. And I don't know, um, you know, there's nothing I can really say about it. It's not like there's some hack or trick because if he had lived to 65, we'd been making this money without having to pay taxes on it on the side. It's just, I didn't remember we'd done it either. So when I got hit by it, I was like, wait a second. That's like half of the money that we were going to retire on. What are you What are you talking about? I'm getting it right now. So there's no way that you can be like, no, I don't want it all right now. They just like no. give it to you. There's like we no tried. way to change it. Oh, Lord almighty in heaven. Oh yeah. my God, did we try? Yeah. Oh my God, did we try? And And the other thing is, which I would certainly share with people is make sure, 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 positive, sure, that once you've got your trust set up, that the beneficiary in your insurance, in your, uh, you know, if you've got a company that has a 401k or, or you've got a rollover IRA or whatever, just be sure you know exactly all the beneficiaries of everything because we missed an, a, IRA that Herbert had from a previous uh, corporation that had rolled over. And it was, it was in, he had had a trust before we were married and it was still in that trust's name. The problem with that is who knows anything about that trust? We weren't married at the time. You know, it's who knows where that money was going. And so um, IRS, please don't listen to this podcast. And so so, um, (laughs) I was shunting all the stuff that was in our trust into, uh, you know, out of his name making. So I was the signatory and I just included that one with it because it still said trust. It had his name. It said whatever, but it was 1998 was the date on the trust instead of 2000, whatever, when we did our trust and they did it, they didn't notice. And so, but, and it wasn't a huge amount of money, but right there, it might've opened a probate. And I mean, Oh, that would have been a nightmare. So that's the one thing. And I had this happen. I will never forget this. I've had this happen to two friends. One who passed away suddenly, she was married and she had an insurance policy that was still in her parents' name. And her mom did not like her husband and he wasn't able to pay for like her death costs because she refused. Her mom was a piece of work and her husband was a saint and and her mom just took the money. And then the other one was a gal who her, nope, yes, her husband passed away. This was a positive. Uh, Her husband passed away. He he was a jerk and he was remarried and had tried to get her name off of everything and he'd forgotten one thing and she wound up inheriting this thing because she was his previous wife. Uh, we, we just thought it was hilarious because it's like she deserved it for putting up with him for Because he was a jerk. They're like, karma, yeah. 
But that's the one thing that I also would make sure that people do is go when you're going through all the assets you might have, make sure that you understand who the beneficiaries are. Because even us, where we were very, very careful, there was one that was still in this other name, which was astonishing. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, So my last question is a little bit of a twisting uh, to a different topic. But was Herbert ever like, what were your views or his views about like mortality? And was he kind of like in this rush to live life? Or was he just like day by day? Because I think that's the, we live this life where we're like bucket lists and like live life to the fullest every day. But I think when you're like actually just in life doing life, you're not thinking like that, even if you know that your prognosis isn't good. What was that like for him or for you? Well, I think the thing that was interesting about that, there's also sort of a sideways thing where uh, he had been an atheist. So he did not believe there was a God. And uh, in the in the great uh, Torah scholar Bible of the movie Ghost, the people, that, <laughs> the people that died and believe in heaven. So that was even an agnostic who didn't know in Ghost, he dies and he does go to heaven, whereas the atheist dies and his soul disappears. I mean, this is so dumb, but whatever. And the bad guys die and they go to hell. But spoiler alert, I made him change his mind that he was an agnostic instead of an atheist because I was really upset that I that it's a ghost when it was my twenties and that his soul would just disappear, which is sort of silly. He was getting he was called a hospice called him and they wanted to know if he wanted to talk to a minister. And he kept saying, I want a shaman, I want a woman, I want this or whatever. Well they would continually call. So finally I just handed the phone to him and I'm like, you tell them. You tell them the minister's on the phone again. So then that's all I thought of it. After he had passed, I got a call from the minister at Kaiser. And I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, he passed away. I'm sure you heard that. And he said, he said, yeah, I had so many amazing conversations with your husband. I'm like, wait, what? Oh (laughs) my God. And he said, and he just didn't tell you. Yeah. No. And he said, we were really talking about the possibility of a, a life after life or what that might look like or how under the second law of thermodynamics, energy can't be made or taken away. And so he was coming around to the fact that, you know, your body would leave, but there's energy that's related to you. So it's got to go somewhere and whatever. I remember holding the phone and just my mouth was open. I was like, oh, oh my God, you know, oh my God. So one of the things that's not really living day to day or, you know, your bucket list or whatever, but it's sort of like your belief in where you go. Uh, And and we had different views about that. And the thing that was so interesting, and I don't know if it's one of those, um, there are no atheists in foxholes type thing, because he was sick, but um, he had changed his his view on that um, based on some science related stuff, based on, you know, whatever. And then with the living day to day thing, the thing was, was that I tried to make every single day have something special in it. Um, even if it was looking for a cheese, the certain cheese Danish or bringing him a cup of coffee or going and uh, buying canned peaches because that's what he wanted right then uh, or whatever. So that was my goal was to make sure that every single day I would have done something kind for him. And um, our really our best night was the night before he died. And um, we had all sorts of crazy stuff that happened. and. Um, it was really, really a good night. And, and so I have to remember that part of it, you know, and I think that's what you do is I think mm-hmm. you still make, cause we were still making plans. We mm-hmm. had all the plans that we were going to go to Ireland and Sedona and Yellowstone or whatever, but then COVID put the kibosh on it. And I think he was really bummed. I think it took the wind out of his sails cause he was really looking forward to those. Right. Things. Yeah. Those trips. Yeah. But I do know that, um, I mean, he told me the night before he died, he just said, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can be so kind to me. You're like the best wife ever. And he also said, uh, he said, he said he was glad it wasn't him that was the caregiver because he didn't think he'd do it that well. And so he said, if anything, I'm kind of really happy to be the recipient of this because I certainly couldn't do this myself. So that made me feel good. Mm-hmm. 
I remember you talking about the the Danishes yeah. uh, when we were at the celebration of life. Yeah. And you got the Danishes at the celebration yeah. of life because you were like, yeah. that's the last thing. It was the the last day, the day before he passed away, right? That he ate yeah. that and he like loved them. Yeah. He, he, had, he had been, because he was Austrian. Yeah. He had this Danish fetish and, and he'd been. <laughs> Danish <laughs> fetish. He did. And he'd been, he'd been trying to get me to find him this quote unquote perfect Danish. And it had been a joke for yeah. easily a year. I went any place that I'd choose Danish, I'd bring it home and he'd say, oh, you know, that's almost it, but it's not really. <laughs> and then I, I happened to have gotten these cheese, cheese Danishes from this guy that went to a pop-up. There was a pop-up bakery that's near me. And um, I brought it home and I only brought one home. And the night that he passed away, I was going to give it to him the next morning. And I gave it, it to him because he was he, he was eating fine, blah, blah, blah. We'd had a nice meal. And I said, oh, I've got dessert for you. And I gave him the cheese Danish. And he said, um, and so we took a bite. And then he said, I'll never forget this. I'm standing in the kitchen. He's just sitting on the couch. He's eating cheese Danish. And he says, this is going to be your biggest regret in your life. And I'm like looking over my shoulder, like, what are you talking about? And he said, because this is the perfect cheese Danish and I'm going to eat the whole thing. and You can't have any. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Sandy, but you did it. Like right before he passed away, you found the perfect cheese Danish. That's like, that's pretty, I love that. It's amazing. And he was like, I'm going to eat the whole thing. You know, and it's like, this is going to be your biggest regret. I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> no. yeah. So I think that's the thing too, is you do need to look at the little things. And I personally believe that there's little tiny things that whoever your partner is, you can do for that partner. I mean, not to write wrote back to love languages, but when Herbert and I did the love languages thing years ago, uh, we had each other's love languages wrong. And, and that was quite amusing. And so like when I you were first dating, you thought they were different than what they were really were. We, we'd been married about 10 years and we, we went to a workshop that, Oh my gosh. So for 10 years, you had the wrong love, love language that you were doing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, sh- it was shocking that. His- well, not only that, it's like not, a, it wasn't really, the language wasn't there. Like we didn't have the love languages language. So learning yeah. it after 10 years, it, like makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But it was, but, but and if people don't know, you can, you can actually go and, I think it's like lovelanguages.com or something. You can take the test and you can also take the test on how you, how you given your love languages, how you deal with people who've hurt you or wronged you. All these tests are free. And, and his number one love languages, love language was touch, which is so funny because he is, was very upstanding Austrian guy. He seems very standoffish. It turns out that was his number one language, love language. It was my least love language. And then my number one love language was acts of service, people doing things for me. And so he thought my number one love language was gifts. And so he would bring me little gifts home, which was lovely. But like, if he would do something for me, I was all over that. And and I remember him saying, wait a second, or wait a second, you love gifts. I'm like, yeah, I love gifts. But that's not my, my love language. He just kept arguing about it. And um so I think like, that's part of it. You it's, like pets. You like to be yeah, pet. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was it was I my number one was actually gifts of service. Somebody doing something for me is my number one thing. Like again, acts of service. Yeah. Me, mm-hmm. Go get me butter or whatever if I need butter. And my next one was words of affirmation, which we did not say I love you that much. And once he found that out, he said it a lot more. And then his was, his number one was touch and his second was, I can't think of what it is, but the other, the fifth one. And, and so that, I think that's the thing too, is um, once you know what your partner's love language is, try every day to do one of those things. And if it's touch, like my husband's, that's really easy. You give them a back rub, (laughs) you know, just like a little. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not hard. Yeah. That's, I like that too. Okay. Last question, because I, I feel like this is good mom Sandy advice is well not so much advice but i want to hear your perspective of like what do you feel spiritually (laughs) claire would make fun of me she's like you always ask like the hard-hitting questions right at the end um (laughs) but what do you feel personally what is your spiritual belief like what is your personal belief of what happens when we die oh i i honestly for sure know 
that there's something after because of the whole thing that Herbert talked about, even, you know, you, it's a physics law. You can't make or unmake energy. So you, you're somewhere. The Jewish belief is, is that there isn't any hell that yes, that means that Hitler went to uh, heaven, but he might be working in the salt mines of heaven. And if he wants to get closer and, and of course, typical Judaism, the like highest thing you can be doing is studying Torah and with like Jesus and Moses and all those people in the library. That's their idea of the highest place. You want to get closer to the library, you come back and you try it again. And, <laughs> you want and- to get closer to the library, you come. That's great. That's you great. want to come out of the salt mine. Right. And- work in the field a little bit, you know? And so that I, I, I just don't really a hundred percent know for real. I do know there's no hell. I think that hell's here. And oh, that's, I, that's the, that I, that resonates with me. Yeah. The hell I is mean, here. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Too much. There's, there's, there can't be, no. I just think hell's a made up thing, especially when you find out in Victorian times that like rich people would buy indulgences so that they could sin and still go to heaven. Like what? I was just reading a book about that. Uh, But that's the thing is that I think there is an after. Uh, I do believe that people come back as people. I do believe that I have my own view about animals. I think that animals are collective soul. And so if a dog's a dog, it goes back to the big dog soul. And then you get another piece of that the next time. I don't think that that's, that's my spiritual belief is that, you know, if your cat dies, you're not going to get that exact cat back, back, but you'll get a little piece of that cat because mm. it's the collective cat's all. Mm. <laughs> the collective but cat, I think, yeah. I think that, yeah. that people are people and I think that you come back to learn something new. But I think in the in-between, energy can't be made or, or destroyed. So... I share something that you feel comfortable sharing, but like I, the examples of like Herbert, quote unquote, talking to you after he passed away, like there's so many things that you're like, you just can't make this up. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. Actually, and there's so many of them. So like pick one that you feel comfortable sharing. I'll tell you one that happened yesterday. How about that? Yes. Great. <laughs> it's, it's like uncanny and unbelievable where I'm like, well, oh my will, gosh, Herbert. This would really make you, and you understand a lot of the backstory that listeners might not, but still, and there really have been. So, so many of them. I'll share, I'll share the one from, from yesterday, but first I'm going to share the very, very first one that happened. The very, 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 very first one that happened. Herbert um, had a sort of his totem animal, um, ravens and crows, and they have now been all around our neighborhood. It's, it's really unbelievable. In fact, we had one during the celebration of life. That sat on the tree and just stared at us and it was yep. un- and and it, there was no others around and nope. it was clear as day he was just this raven crow was sitting in the chair stare it was unbelievable, unbelievable. yeah i mean it really was and he just was like dur, 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 here we go but but the very first one that happened was i went to uh he passed away on a friday and my daughter flew out immediately. And so that Saturday, um, I sort of thought, my God, Saturday mornings, I normally go and I sit in the hot tub and and just sort of, because it faces up a hill, it's really pretty. And I went to just clean it and test the chemicals and said, I wasn't going to sit in there. But anyway, so I open it up and it's covered. And in the cup holder is this bird turd. There is no way that that could have gotten in there. I'm like, you, what, what is this? So I brought my daughter out to look at it. I'm like, I'm not making this up. That is a poop. Right. And she goes, How did that happen? I said, It hasn't been open. Like, there's no way that could have happened. So we're and laughing. it's not like it could have like blown off to the side. No. Like this this cover is heavy and tight. Yeah. Yes. And and so I clean that up and I'm like, okay, now I'm just gonna test the water and whatever. And I really always get in the hot tub. Like that's the thing that I really enjoy, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I wasn't gonna do it because it's the day after Herbert's passed away, whatever. And I looked down and one of the little covers for one of the jacuzzi jets is off. And I was thinking, God, that's weird. And so I reached down to get it. And being a Virgo, I'm like, I'm going to put this back on because I have to, this has to be fixed. Right. And I look and it's the farthest jet away. And the hot tub is in sort of a area where to actually put that on, I would have to get in the hot tub. And I just started laughing. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll take a hot tub. (laughs) Like he's totally messing with you and telling you like, get in the hot tub. Yeah. And then just yesterday, my internet's been down for three days, which is going to, which has been hell. And Herbert did all of our tech stuff. So I had to hire somebody to come and try to figure out how the heck to get it turned back on. Well, 
and he's going to come back next week to really look at all the wires and figure it out. But he said, okay, I can, I can just down and dirty, get this router to redo. I'm going to have to call up the the ISP. I'm going to do blah, 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 all these things. Now, uh, my nickname for Herbert was Panda. And he had a bunch of Panda stuff that used to be on his desk, but I cleared it all out because uh, I was cleaning the house, really cleaning the house while the internet was down. So all the panda stuff is off of his desk. There's nothing, nowhere, 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 nowhere. So the guy is talking to the ISP and he's sitting at Herbert's desk, put it on the computer. And he says, and he says, okay, we have to rename the router. And he's looking at me as if like, I'm going to come up with a name or whatever. And he goes, panda, we'll call the router panda. And my, my hair raised on the side of my, I'm like, What? And and then he sort of turned away from me, and I'm like, oh oh my god! Like, did he? Just and he that? didn't know what the router no, was before. Like, no. Well, the router. The, oh, the router wasn't called Panda before. No, 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 no. no. no, 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 no. He just made that up. That was the oh, going to give it. Yeah. And then Herbert. I, I love know, shit like this. Like this. This is the shit that I live for. I like well, freaking is, live this for. Is what I thought I would tell you right. And then and then the um. And then I had a reliquary made for Herbert, which is a long story. But on the top of it, it's got a, to open it up, it's got a tree at the top that represents Yggdrasil, which is the tree of life. But it also represents Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy because Herbert was a big Marvel fan and he loved Groot. And so I say that because now the guy, he's still on the phone and he says, yeah, let's call it Panda. And he, and he goes, okay, password. And he goes to look at me and then he just turns back around and he says, happy tree. And I'm like, what the, what? And so there's no way he could have seen a Panda anywhere because I had just cleaned all the little tchotchkes and stuff off of her. Right. It was all gone. It was all gone. And he could not have known that Herbert's favorite part of any Marvel was the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where Groot, it's during the, like, when they're doing the credits, and Groot is like a baby Groot dancing to all the various things or whatever. That was, he would just watch that, just that, because he's like, oh, he's such a happy little tree. That's so cute. And so so the fact that Panda and Happy Tree is now my router as of yesterday, I should probably, I'm like, I'm like, that's not really the password, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, don't come to Sandy's house. She just told you the password. <laughs> Nobody knows where you live. Exactly. Nobody knows but, where you live. But still, it's like, yeah. It's, and it'll be changed as of Friday because he's going to come and redo the stuff. But still, I think it's worth, you know what? You need to bogart my Wi-Fi. There you go. Yeah, there you go. You needed it. If you need to bogart her Wi-Fi before Friday, which by the way, this will probably be gone. This will be out before. But yeah, I think it's really funny. Then you needed it. And that's good karma. I'm going to share really quick something that because I I live for these stories. And I would love listeners to write in if you have anything that's like a sign from a loved one that's like on the other side is, you know, I was, um, I've been going through this transition with like jobs and everything. And I was having a rough day about a week ago. And I was walking my dogs and a, a ladybug just landed on my arm, like just landed right. And like, it's like, it was one of those things where I thought it was, I was going to shoo it away because I was like, oh, you know, when something lands on you, you like have this instinct of like, oh my God. And I just stopped and I looked and I was like, oh my God, it's a ladybug. And it just like flew right away. And it's not like I was in a field. I was just on a sidewalk, like not a lot of trees or bushes around the word ladybugs would be flying. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that was just a little sign from a loved one. And I have many on the other side that I'm just like, okay, hello. And then uh, I was talking to one of my best friends when I was in Arizona. Her mom passed away a couple of years ago. And it was just, I mean, we miss her so, 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 so much. We were talking about her. She's like, yeah, the weirdest thing has happened where, so she has her mother's ashes and the urn like sitting on a, like a kind of like a coffee table next to her work area where she works from home. And she's like two times in two different jobs, because she's worked from home with like two different companies where they issue you a computer. So it can't have been like her computer so the coincidence, you can't argue with this, but she's like, in t- in both computers at both of these jobs, I've been typing away or on a call and something will just pop in, up and says, do you want to translate this to German? And her mom was German. And she would be like, she's like, it's the weirdest thing. And she's like, I just, wow. uh, she's like, hi, mom, you know, <laughs> Would you like to translate this to German? She's like, that's happened at both of my computers in two different jobs. And I just, I'm like, oh, how can, how can you not believe in that stuff when you're just like, 
you just miss them and the energy and there's something more to that. But I, I did, I know we're wrapping up, but I, I did a, um, of all things, a paranormal tour of San Francisco, um, as you know, just last week. And one of the things the guy talked about is he is a ghost hunter, which he doesn't call himself. He's a paranormalist. And he said, the thing is that about 80% of the time, 90% of the time when he's called in, for something. It turns out it's EMF in that, you know, all of our computers and things give off this electronic pulse. And so a lot of times there'll be a situation where somebody's sleeping in their bed and they're having night terrors or whatever. It turns out that they've got an electric clock that's got in a short and it's right by their bed. Oh, and that's what's wow. causing it. That's and interesting. He says, he's got an EMF tester and he comes around and he said, he said, the other thing is like, if you're alone in your office and you're surrounded by a printer that's got Bluetooth and your computer and you're this and you're that, and you suddenly feel like somebody's like behind you, that's what EMF feels like. And so you feel like, oh my God, there's somebody here. It's because the EMF is affecting your body, which I thought was fascinating. But he said, he said, but the other 10% of the time, he wants it to be history related. Like um, he he took us to this one park and that people would hear this certain thing, blah, blah, blah. And he went back in the history and it turned out that there was this murder that was in the park and it tied into these various things that nobody knew that part of it because it, it was like from the 1800s, but he found it in the newspapers. And then he's like, okay, something really might be going on here that's related to this particular thing. And that's what reminds me of when you say about your friend in the German thing, it's like, that's kind of a history thing. You know, like, it's like this person spoke German and this comes up on the computer. That's like tied into an actual historical thing. And I, I found this tour incredibly interesting because he wasn't some woo woo, I see these or whatever. He was very much not that way. So it was it was really quite fun to do it because of him explaining the ways that he goes about when people feel that they've got a situation with a spirit. And he also talked very much about how your energy, because of the laws of physics, will stay in things you love. And so if you have a ring of your grandmother's or you have your husband's glasses or whatever, and that you really feel like they're with you when you're when you have that ring on or when you have the glasses on. He said, we are all molecules and energy. And those things are just molecules and energy. And the more somebody imbues their own energy into that thing, there's spaces in between the molecules and that's where that energy is going. And so if you've got something from, that's why when you're talking to somebody who really does have some kind of a touch, they will feel a a ring or whatever, and they will know what that person is like. It's because they can feel the energy of that person because it's it's actually in the thing. I'm not explaining it very well, but it's like it's like you know, a desk looks like it's solid, but it's really little tiny molecules yeah. with lots of spaces. And the idea is that in the spaces, that energy of that person can lodge in there. And that's often why we see a ring and we can feel that person it's because their energy really is lodged in that thing they loved yeah so speaking of woo next time when we talk we're going to talk about what we originally set out to talk about was manifesting and that will be next time so we'd love to hear listeners questions around that or even just feedback around this episode around grief questions around grief um, or even sharing your own stories of your loved ones because i think when we talk more about this it's just comforting to know that we all grieve differently, celebrate our loved ones differently, and have different feelings about someone passing if you had a complicated relationship. There's a lot of ways that we can have this conversation. But Sandy and I have also recently been talking a lot about manifesting law of attraction. And we've been both in like steeped, you've been steeped in that world way longer than me. But I, I mean, I probably steeped myself into it like 15 years ago. So this is nothing new. But I think it's worth talking about because um, it is interesting to me. And I think there's times when I like get really weirded out because I don't like the woo woo talk, but neither do you. And I'm like, well, that's then perfect, because we don't have to have a conversation about it with like feeling like we have too much of our head in the clouds. But I also think it's really cool to kind of see where life takes you when you put these principles into place. That's going to be our new hashtag, hashtag mm-hmm. no woo. <laughs> no woo. This is the no woo zone. So thank you, Sandy, for coming back when Girls Gone Wad. You've been such a blessing to us in so many ways that I can't even list them. It'll take me 10 hours. But thank you for joining us and sharing your heart, and especially around Herbert. You're the best. Mwah. Thank you. Thank you.